Hey, this is Ed Luther, pastor of City Church in Australia. I hope that today's podcast really inspires you. Thank you so much for listening. But it's been a real joy. We've been away, Gail and I, uh, in the States, visiting our son and family and friends, and and uh, it's just been a it's been a really good time. But jet lag knocks at the door. So <laughs> if I'm not making sense this morning, uh, just say it's just jet lag. He's 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 sane, but he's just you know. Uh, one one of the things that I don't enjoy, and I kind of wish they would perfect the uh, transporter from Star Trek in a hurry so that we could just be beamed from one place to the next, and we didn't have to get on a plane. And the plane ride from Brisbane to New York, it's about 18 hours plus the uh, layovers. So it's about 12, 13 hours from L.A. to, uh, so from Brisbane to L.A., and then layover, then another uh, five or six hours to New York, and uh, in the layovers, uh, you, you add those in, and you're traveling for quite a long time without a change of underwear and, and other essentials. And so it's really important that you try to get the best seat possible. In fact, uh, it's critical. And I've read a lot of, uh, you know, things that pop up on my news feed, how to get the best seat, you know, click here and, and all of that. And, and one of the things I've learned is just be nice to the ticket person, whoever it is, you know, a check-in, uh, get to know their name and, and, and be really nice to them. Not that I wouldn't be nice anyway, but I'm extra nice when it comes to that, especially if I couldn't get a seat online and that kind of thing. And uh, so we were being really nice to Monette, was her name. And uh, this is in uh, LA. So we're headed back here. The biggest leg of, of the trip is the, you know, the LA. And then we're going to Auckland and for a couple hours and then back to here. So you know, I looked at her name, Monette, and I said, is that Monet, like the famous painter? And she goes, no, it's, it's, it's Monette. And my dad's name is, uh, I think his name was Monet or something. And so she's a little Monet and uh, chip off the old block. And we're, you know, we're having a bit of banter back and forth, me and the checkout person. And Gail's kind of watching this thing play out. But I'm thinking, babe, I know what I'm doing. Uh, I've researched this. Like, this is one of the most important things you can do to get upgraded. And it has happened before. I have been upgraded, so trust me in this. So I'm being really nice to, extra nice to, to Monette. And, uh, and then she says these magic words, uh, is an exit row okay with you guys? Exit row, like leg room. Yeah, like it's it's like the cheapest version of getting upgraded to first class or business class. Like you know, if you can get an exit row, like you you don't pay the money, but you get the leg room, which for me it's a big deal. And uh, like I've sat in uh, window seats in cattle class, not the exit row, and I get shoved in there, and it's terrible. You're squashed into this space. You can't move your legs. My my legs, I get uh, that that. Leg swelling, you know, it's really bad. They say you can, you can die from it. You can get deep vein tr uh, thrombosis, and you, you can die, you know. So, so I take aspirin, and I, you know, Gail bought these special stockings for me, you know, so my leg won't swell up, and, uh, and my shoes, I can't, can't even fit the shoes on at the end of the flight. So if I don't have leg room and get to move around and everything, it's really miserable for me. And so, uh, you know, being wedged next to the window or even the, the middle seat, if there's three seats, it's even worse than the window in my, my estimation because you've got nowhere to put your head. 
Uh, you know, there's just nothing like an exit row. Being in the, the window seat is, is really bad as well. If you like to drink, not, not just drink alcohol, which I don't, but, you know, if you like to drink, like, lots of fluids, you're supposed to stay hydrated. Uh, but if you're in the window seat, you got to get past two other people, you know, to use the toilet. You don't want to bother people. And, and these, uh, you know, flight attendants are really good at keeping you hydrated. So they're always bringing around, do you want some water? Do you want another drink? Would you like some orange juice? Would you like some tomato? Would you like a Pepsi? Would you like a wine? Would you like a beer? Would you like, would you like, would you like? And if you're in the window seat, you're thinking, I would really like to be drinking a lot right now, but I know if I'm going to drink a lot, something's going to happen. <laughs> I'm going to have to go to the toilet, which is really bad because I'm going to have to disturb two people with their headphones on, with, uh, you know, everything hooked up and everything. they got to unhook, get up, let, let me out, do the whole deal. So Monique's uh, favorite words, you know, do you want, would you like an exit row? It was like, yes, thank you so much. And we could not thank her enough until we got on the airplane. <laughs> and we're walking down the aisle, and uh, ticket said 61, I think it was, uh, F and G or whatever. And, and, and we're walking up, we're thinking, okay, got, a, got an exit row. And there's two people sitting in our exit row. I know. Disappointment. Like set up for unrealized expectations. Really, really bad. I'm thinking, ha, I'll dare them. Nice try. You know, nice try. You, th you thought nobody's going to show up because we're like the last people on the plane. You thought if you just sat there that when we, sh you know, nobody else was going to show up. And you thought you had the exit row until Gail looked at the ticket we didn't get the exit row. Manette actually let us down. And she gave us the, the row behind the exit row, which doesn't count. That's still cattle class. You're still shoved in there, the whole deal. I looked at the ticket. I went, I'll dare her. I, I told her what a beautiful name she had. I used, you know, that extra charm that I have. It, 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 it didn't work. And now I'm shoved in there, and there's a lady on the aisle and she's all hooked up and everything. She's there for the long haul, man. She's even got her blanket on everything else. And uh, so just getting in the seat was a chore, let alone I know I'm going to be getting out of that seat to use the, the restroom and not that long and, you know, probably a few times. She's not going to be happy. But, uh, you know, that was the end of that little excursion. No exit row, cattle class, window seat for me, uh, terrible, terrible flight. It was such a disappointment. And uh, I really needed the grace of God to forgive Monette, even though I'll probably never see her again, but I thought about writing the airline a letter to say she cheated us, she set us up, like how disappointed we were, you know, the whole thing, and they probably would either not respond or say, tell somebody who cares, we don't. That's just the way it goes. Uh, but I want to talk this morning about finding grace in, in a tough place. Finding grace in a tough place. And I want you to go with me, if you did bring your Bibles, because this is not going to go up on the screen, and uh, so we're in trouble here. If, if you uh, didn't bring your Bible, you can follow along with me. But uh, John chapter 5, we're going to read verses 2 to 15, and then we're going uh, to look at a few things here that I believe uh, will help us as a church and you as a person. If you're not from this church, it'll hopefully help you uh, in your life and in whatever church that you attend. So it says here in verse 2 of John chapter 5, it says, Now there is in Jerusalem near the sheep gate a pool, 
which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie. And I'm reading out of the NIV. The blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. Verse 5. One who was there had been there, an invalid, for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool. Whenever the water is stirred while I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. And then Jesus said to him, Get up! Pick up your mat and walk. And at once the blind man, uh, sorry, at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. This passage has in it, as we unpack it this morning, it has in it five dimensions that I want to uh, share with you where grace is needed. Five dimensions or uh, aspects in these verses here. One, the place. Secondly, the ports. These all begin with P, which helps every preacher. Uh, the ports, the problem, the process, and the person. Verse 2, the place. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda. Now the place that this happened is in a place called Bethesda. Now I've been there, um, one of the highlights of our trip to Jerusalem. In fact, one of my favorite cities to visit in the whole world is Jerusalem. I never wanted to go to Jerusalem until we went. And then it was like, can't wait to get back. It's just an amazing place. Most of uh, the New Testament, in fact, most of the Bible took place in that region and that particular place, that city call, called Jerusalem, that city of peace. And one of my favorite places within the city of peace, within Jerusalem, is this place called Bethesda. Bethesda means house of mercy or house of grace. And, and this particular spot is still there. They uh, uncovered it. They had uh, archaeological archaeologists tried to find it for uh, probably, you know, closer to 2,000 years. And about 100 years ago, they finally undug it, and they found uh, the pool of Bethesda. They had already found the pool of Siloam, but uh, on the northern part of the city there, it's now the Muslim quarter, uh, they, they found this particular pool and uncovered it. Up until that time, they said, oh, this just is a fable. It's just legend. Uh, you know, it's just make-up stuff out of the Bible. Uh, how many people know the Bible is true? It's up to science and archaeology to, to discover that fact. But, you know, we take it by faith. And uh, I've been there. It's an amazing place. And, and, and Bethesda, or, or House of Grace, is right next to the Sheep Gate, it says. And so you find this 
place of grace next to a place of works. You find that where there's buying and selling of sheep and there's lots of commerce going on, you find that there's this place, this pool, this place of tranquility with this intent, uh, intense peace around it. And it's, a, it's a rectangular pool. It's one pool, but it has two basins in it, and, and, and it's divided by this wall. People had thought for years, they said, well, the Bible says it's got five colonnades. So is this like a trapezoid? Is this thing like got five sides to it? Until they dug this thing up and they discovered that it's actually uh, a wall in the middle that gives it its fifth uh, colonnade or porch, if you will, that they discovered that this is all true. Everything that the scriptures said, it's, it's, it's quite an amazing thing to stand there and, and see the ruins of this, these giant pools, and they were very, very deep. And, and one of the pools is like a reservoir that flows uh, through a, a dam that they built, constructed thousands of years ago, uh, and it flows into the other pool where these people would go and they would wade in to get healed. Quite an amazing place. And, and it's one of my favorite places. And so I was so excited when I saw this and, and, and looking at that and seeing that, you know, the Bible is true. It says the house of grace uh, is next to the sheep gate. Works is always next to grace. Have you ever noticed that? That, that when you're trying to Get the grace of God, and I'll define grace simply as this, God's ability uh, so that you can do what you can't do. When grace comes upon you, uh, whatever you've tried to do that you couldn't do with your own ability, uh, the grace of God comes, comes upon you and enables you. He gives you his divine enablement to do what you can't do. But next to that is always a place of works. I could not help uh, reading this I could not help but to think about our, our particular church in our strategic location in our city. We are, in case you haven't noticed, if you walk out our front door and you can hook a right, and there's two, two ways that you can go, and, and it'll take you probably two minutes, maybe five if you're slow, to get from here into the entrance of the major shopping mall on the Sunshine Coast. And flowing through the, the mall, the Sunshine Plaza, is a, a creek or a, a river of sorts. It flows through there, and it flows past, you know, over to, uh, to my right. It flows down all the way. It's called Cornmill Creek. And uh, so there's, there's this water flowing through a place of commerce, and, and there's a place of grace next to a place of commerce. This city church is a place of grace. It's a space of grace right next to the major place of commerce uh, on our city, and there's, uh, there's water flowing through there in the natural, but, but there's also water, the grace of God that wants to flow the other way, it wants to go upstream, if you will, from this place and bless that place of commerce and bless the city. We're in the CBD. There's, there, God has strategically placed a place of grace next to a place of works. He always does that. And then the choice is always ours. Are we going to go grace or are we going to go works? When things get tough, are we going to turn to our own devices and just check out on God? Or are we going to do what we're called to do, and that's be believers and, and stay checked in and tuned into uh, the ability of God, not our own ability only? And so uh, as I read this, I just couldn't help but to see, uh, firstly, the place, the place that this takes place is not a place unlike what we've got going right here. The second thing is the porch. 
It says here, uh, again in verse 2, it says, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades or porches. Now, the word five just happens to be the number of grace. There are many different uh, numerology in the Bible for different things, but grace is God's number. Uh, uh, five is God's number for grace. There are five fingers on your hand. When the hand of God comes upon your life, uh, that five hits your life. That grace hits your life. You have the hand of God on your life. You've got the grace of God. There were five smooth stones that, uh, that David collected to slay Goliath uh, the day before man was created. On the sixth day, man was created. Before that, it, it was the fifth day, and God's grace touched uh, all, all of the earth. It was all set up so that when God's prized possession, man was created, all these things were in place there. Uh, the number five is, is all through the Bible. You'll see the number five. And here we find that there are five colonnades or, or porches that are around this pool. Again, four uh, along the, the rectangle and one down the middle separating the north uh, reservoir from the southern uh, pool where the people collected. And this is uh, hard to imagine, but this place called Bethesda, or House of Mercy, House of Grace, is like a, a primitive hospital. It's a time before modern medicine, and, and I know that's very hard for us to even imagine a time like that because we sneeze, we go to the doctor, you know, and if it's bad enough, we're going to get into, you know, uh, modern medicine, uh, get some antibiotics, get an operation, get whatever you need, take whatever you need to, you know, anesthetize the pain. And, and But this is a day before they had really any of that. I'm sure they had herbal remedies, but I'll, I will take what we got today over herbal remedies any old day. And this place was packed. It says there was a great crowd of people that were blind and people that were lame and people that were paralyzed. And this particular man who was an invalid was, uh, if you will, he was invalidated uh, by society's standards. He could not go back next door to the place of commerce. He was stuck there, and it says for 38 years. Now, again, been to Israel. It gets really, really hot especially in Jerusalem. If you're there in, in the summertime, like you'll wish that you'd have picked another time to go there. The, the, the grit from just the dust in the air and, and the heat there is so intense. And, and these people packed around there, they're hanging out for one thing and one thing only. They want a miracle. They want the hand of God to come and heal them. And in verse 4, which is not uh, in the earliest manuscripts of the Bible, and so that's why I didn't read it. I'd skip from verse 3 to verse 5. It says that once a year, an angel would come and, and would stir the waters up. And if you happen that one time of the year, if you were fast enough, hard to do if you're paralyzed. If you were quick enough, hard to do if you can't see. If, if you had that... Uh, that incredible, if you were blessed with some kind of uh, physical prowess, hard to do if you're lame. You could get into the water first, and you would get healed once a year. Now, that's not in the uh, earlier manuscripts, and so it's not in the NIV uh, version of the Bible, and the reason is because it's not there, because that's not the way God works. I believe that there was 
perhaps a stirring of the water. Maybe they emptied, the, uh, they opened up the gate from uh, the upper reservoir so water would flow into the pool to keep the level up there. And so, you know, maybe that's what they were doing and, and, and they had superstition going on or something like that. But I find a lot of, a lot of Christians have superstition in there, mixed in there with calling it faith and calling it uh, godliness. You know, the Holy Spirit's kind of wrapped up in this whole thing, you know. And we've got our own version of what they had uh, going on there that they thought once a year the angel's going to stir the water. If you're lucky, if you if you got somebody, a friend, you paid somebody to get into that water, get in there, you, you're going to get the lucky thing. You're going to get healed. Nobody else is. I'm so thankful that God doesn't work like a lottery. In fact, one of the most amazing things that I see, and, and again, um, I see this as a typology, if you will, uh, of our church. And that is there were a lot of people there that were blind that could walk. But all the blind people kind of sat together on one porch or one colonnade. And there were a lot of uh, paralyzed people, and they couldn't get up at all, but they could sure use somebody to pick them up and maybe help them along to get into the pool and, and maybe get some kind of remedial uh, relief. And what if the blind people help the lame people because the lame people can't walk? And what if the lame people who could walk help the blind people and together they got together, they could do something uh, uh, amazing and the grace of God would saturate, I believe, that pool. Wouldn't be, they wouldn't be waiting for once in, once in a year, their lucky dip, their lucky chance, you know, cu cutting the queue, trampling over one another. If the water stirred, I can imagine it would be like a big stampede into that water. And who knows, if, you, if you're lame, you probably aren't very good at swimming if you're blind. How are you going to know where the, the wall of the pool is so you don't, don't drown? I mean, what a terrible place to be. And so the place, the pool, Bethesda, the place of grace, has a porch. And porches, I don't know. I remember living uh, years ago. We lived, I lived in a place called Kalamazoo, Michigan, when I was going to college. And we had porches. They were big old houses and a bunch of uh, college guys we all lived in one of the big houses, and, you know, the porch was quite big. It had uh, pillars on it, and you could sit out there, had a rocking chair, I'd sit out there and read, you know, do all my studies and everything. And, and most people in the heat of the day would be out on the front porch. And what happened on the porch was a lot of conversations. Now, our conversations at the time weren't all that healthy. I was uh, 18, 19 years old, you know, not, not a Christian at all. And uh, so we had a lot of conversations going on. Next door, there were conversations going on. But what I realized is that birds of a feather really do flock together. And I could look down the street, and I could see people that had something in common on all the different porches, including my, myself and, and my buddies. And, and I found that in church life. See, I believe that if I was to draw an analogy between the church and, and something in the world, that probably the something in the world that I would pick would be a hospital. I use this because I believe it describes the dynamic of church life. People from society get messed up. And, and I mean, they get messed up in, in, a, in a lot of things. And when it all comes to the crunch, when it all comes to the end, and they can't solve it themselves through their own works, 
they discover something or somebody preaches something called grace, and when they're in that hard space, they turn to God, they end up in here. Perhaps you're one of the people that ended up here that was wounded out in society. Welcome to the hospital. But there's something about the church as a hospital. There's nobody here, including the guy preaching right now, that's not a patient. We're all messed up in one way or another. We're either blind or lame in something in our life. There's none of us that have got it all together. And so the dynamic of this hospital called church is very much like the the dynamic of these porches around the pool. The patients have to wait on the other patients. Somebody comes in, they've got a dysfunction of some kind, and, 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 and they need attention. But there's no doctors here that are fully got it all together, and that's all we do is run around. We got our own stuff to sort out. I got my own baggage. Some of the stuff, I thank God, God's grace has broken through in my life, and you know, I've, I've, I've received incredible breakthroughs over the years, but there's always something else to, to, to graduate to. There's always something, some other issue, and, and, and following Jesus, let's, let's just, uh, you know, he's perfect. So if I'm following him until I'm perfect, I've always got something I'm working on. Now, I know I'm accepted. I know my theology on that. And by his stripes, I'm healed and, and everything else. And as he is, so am I. But, and he sees me as beautiful. And he sees you as beautiful because you're also the bride. But the church is also a hospital. So my friends at the gym and other people who don't attend church, they like to remind me of how imperfect the church is. Well, I know the church. I don't go there. You know why I don't go to church? Why? Because it's full of hypocrites. I think, well, you're right, 100%. So many messed up people end up in the church. But I ask my friends this question, who messed them up? You see, the church doesn't mess them up. We're trying to fix them up. They get messed up out in the world. And then because they can't get fixed by secular means, all the counseling and drugs and, you know, the pharmaceuticals and and everything else out there that's trying desperately to fix up everything uh, on the spectrum that people, messed up people have. And and they come into the church. They they come to the porch. They come around the pool. And and then the pool, the porch, the, the hospital, if you will, gets blamed for messing them up. We don't mess them up. We're trying to fix them up. But the problem is that all of us are patients and we're all messed up in some way ourselves. That's the dynamic of church. Get used to it. If you're here right now, you've come to, you know, the, the, the branding or the sign outside City Church. Okay, that's, that's really good. Put hospital on there and realize that what you have stepped into is a bunch of dysfunctional people that have put their hand up and said, God, I need help. Please help me. We're not a bunch of people tripping over one another for the lucky dip, hoping that some angel swoops in here once a year with a magic wand and we all get fixed up instantly. Ah, You know, it just doesn't happen that way. So in the healing process called recovery, we get to wait on one another. We, we get to watch the process, the healing process, as it, it, it sometimes takes years and decades even to, for even some of the things that we just, you know, we try and try and try. We have to be patient on the porch. One of the dilemmas with the porch is this, that 
Often people will get so used to their dysfunction that they'll find other people that uh, have the same dysfunction because then they're not embarrassed. They don't have to be anything. They don't have to try to, to get fixed up. They don't have to do anything. They can just get around people that have the same dysfunction and swap stories and just stay where they're at and never improve. That's not God's plan either, my friends. You can get really comfortable on the porch so you don't have to move. 38 years this guy sat on a porch with his invalid. It doesn't say exactly what was wrong with him, but he was an invalid. So 38 stinking long, hard years, he would never get into the water. He could never get healed. And that's where he sits on the porch. And so many people sit on the porch of complacency where the birds of a feather flock together where deliverance is delayed because of who they hang with, where broken people seek out other broken people so they don't have to feel broken. Put me on a porch with my kind of people, and then I won't feel out of place enough to do anything, enough to believe anything. You do if you're a believer. Your call as a believer is to believe. Your call as a believer is to do what God says, and the grace of God will meet you where you believe and where you're willing to get out of your complacency. Recently, uh, you know, our son lives in Harlem, and uh, a couple of weeks ago, I thought I'm going to go to night service, went to the morning service at my son's church, and uh, I thought I'll go, to, I'll go to Hillsong. So I had to catch a train to get to Hillsong, got down into the subway, and I know which train I'm on. I got plenty of time. I'm going to be early, in fact, to uh, catch uh, to the Midtown to go to the Hillsong church. So I'm thinking I'm standing there on the, on the tracks, and, and the train says, train in three minutes. So, I, okay, three minutes. Then five minutes, the train doesn't show up. It says, delay, train in five minutes. So now we're eight minutes. Then delay again, and then they announce the fact that they're, uh, they're doing some electrical work. And so about an hour goes by, and I realize this train ain't coming. And I'm just standing here, and a bunch of people are standing there waiting for the train. They're all getting upset. And I had passed on the way to the, to the uh, subway station, I had passed this church in Harlem. It had kind of a, a weird name, something Deliverance Church. And I, and I, I met this guy out front, and, uh, and I said, oh, what's this church about? He was a bit sus uh, of me, and, you know, because I just asked a question. And I go, when, when does the church... Uh, Starts at 7, he says, I said, when does it finish? And he goes, whenever God's finished moving. And I'm like, okay. Uh, didn't really want to ask that question because I kind of thought that was going to be the answer, and I didn't want to seem like I was, you know, kind of backslidden, like, oh, you know, got to stick to the, to the clock. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> he kind of looked at me like, are you serious? You really want to come in here? Because it was an all-black church. And I thought, I'm going to go for Hillsong first, if, you know, but I still kind of felt a tug of the spirit to go there. I don't know why. So when the train didn't run, I found myself back there again. And that the particular guy wasn't outside. And uh, so I said, uh, I'd like to go to, you know, can I come in? And they said, just wait here. And so they got uh, some people to escort me to show me where I was going to sit. I was the only white dude in the whole church. They sat me with about five rows all around me. There was nobody <laughs> sitting next to me at all. And they said, you're not going to take any pictures? Uh, you know, and this is what you're going to do. And I kind of, okay, cool. You know, thank you. Welcome to church. 
And so I thought, well, I'm not leaving. I'm going to stay here and go through the service. And so they had wild worship, you know, uh, just like you'd see on television. It was a pretty crazy place. And uh, but they said, oh, you know, take the hand of the person next to you. I'm thinking, well, that's going to be hard. There ain't nobody next to me. And so the usher guy that had actually greeted me my first pass past the church, he saw that, and he was, you know, pretty clear. So he raced over, slid down the, the, the row to where I was seated and, and, and put his hand out like, okay, we got you covered, bro. So, you know, we held hands, which was awkward, and uh, did whatever, <laughs> whatever they were going to do. And then he left, and then I'm back by myself again. Then, you know, they did the offering. You had to come up and give your your offering, which I did, and I was happy to do that, and back to my seat, and, uh, you know, nobody said bye to me when I left. I was all by myself there thinking, these guys have got a porch. They're all on the same porch. They've gotten into agreement on which race matters to them. They've gotten into agreement on which style of worship and the Holy Ghost or whatever uh, is going to move, the, the hooping preaching, you know, the guy would, you know, and, and it went on. And I liked it. The only thing I didn't like is I didn't feel like I was welcome on their porch. And it really hit me, and that's not a racist thing from my point of view. It was like, I don't want to be part of a church that has porches for different people based on ethnicity or age or anything else. God forbid if City Church has five colonnades or five porches, one for this community, one for that community, can't we just get off of that porch and move over to the other porch? Because if you're lame, you can help a blind person. And if you're blind, you need a lame person, my friend. You need somebody that's got what you don't got. Now, I know I'm yelling. I just get excited. I can't help myself. <laughs> Forgive me. Please, I'll talk. The third thing, we looked at the place. We looked at the porch. The third thing is the problem. Verse 3, here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. So they all sat on their porches. Desperate people. Desperate for the grace of God to flow. But we got to get on the same porch for that to happen. You know, I don't know if you've ever been really, really desperate for God to move on something, but I was in a crusade that I, I was a speaker at in Pakistan. And we had two weeks, minimum of 20,000 people. It was amazing. And I was pinching myself thinking, gee, you know, how did I end up here? And, and I remember this particular guy that brought in on a stretcher. It was a Christian crusade. You don't use the word crusade over there either because of crusaders. And uh, this guy was paralyzed. He could only move his head. And, and I went to pray for him. I, I could not take the fact that I don't know what's wrong with him. So I made my way down off the platform to, to pray for this particular man. And the first thing they said to me, he's a Muslim. And I'm like, I don't care. God loves Muslims. He doesn't like, you know, what they believe in the bondage of religion, just like this stinking religion in this account in the Bible. Oh, it's a Sabbath day. What are you doing picking up your mat? My goodness, man. Aren't you happy the guy got healed? And so the first thing they keep telling me, he's a Muslim, he's a Muslim. I'm like, I don't care, I don't care, I really don't care. He's a man. He's a human being. He's paralyzed. And I remember the helplessness as I prayed for him and nothing happened. And he laid there crying and desperate. 
in the middle of all of this stuff. And all they kept saying, he's a Muslim, he's a Muslim. And I'm thinking, man, it's hard enough for me to believe anything's going to happen to this God. But you keep throwing that. Like, stop it. Stop it. Get off your porch, for goodness sakes. The place that God wants to heal could be anywhere. But the process, we're almost, we're almost finished. The process is not the lucky dip. Oh, we all want our lucky break. We just want the angel to come down and do something. Friends, he's going to do something through you. You as a believer are called to lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. The Bible says that we are the body of Christ. If it's going to be, it's going to be because we get off of our mat and we get up and we help somebody with their mat. Not just a lucky break. Then number five, verse five. The one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. That's the person, the final thing. Invalidated. A place of inactivity next to a place of incredible activity, the sheep gate. God has a plan for broken, invalidated people. And it's this, verse 6, when Jesus saw him lying there and learned he had been in that condition for a long time. Everybody say, a long time. Come on. He asked him, and I believe this is a real key, do you want to get well? You see, it's pretty easy after 38 years to just go, no, I'm just here because I'm accepted here and I don't stand out in society. I've given up all hope. I don't really want it. But Jesus was appealing to the sovereignty of this man's will. Do you want to get well? That desire, sometimes it's, 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 it's run out of the church. We lose our desire because we don't see it over a long period of time. We think that it's just going to happen, you know, sovereignly. Some angel's going to come, and it doesn't happen. So we lose the desire to say, yes, I want to get well. So we attend a church service or a meeting or even a dinner party or a prayer group with no expectation at all because what will be will be the way it's been for the last 38 years is the way it's going to happen in the future. Friends, if you buy into that, you might as well not turn up for anything. So important that we keep our expectation high because grace expects that. Grace requires that you forsake your comfort to obtain your destiny. Most people want God to move, but they're unwilling to move themselves. They, want, they, they, they won't pay the price of being uncomfortable. Every time that God has moved in my life, it has stretched me clean out of my comfort zone to the point where, honestly, you know, my knees would shake. It'd just be like, what have I just done? Do you want to change? Do you want to get well? I'm going to ask you that right now as we close. 2 Corinthians 12 says this. It says, Jesus said, but my grace is sufficient for you, not insufficient. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, this is grace, my friend, when I am weak, then I am strong. How are you strong? Because grace visits hard places, my friends. Are you willing? Do you want it? And at once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The 
day that that took place was, was the Sabbath. You know, it's interesting here because I asked the question, why did he pick up his mat, his bed, so to speak, and walk? Like, you'd think he'd just leave his stupid thing. It was probably dirty, filthy, you know, if you know anything about third world. It's like, what do I want that mangy thing for? But there's an aspect here that the man's mat represented the testimony of God, of what God did. Everywhere he carried that thing around, people would point and go, wasn't that the, that's the guy that they lived 38 years? I saw that guy at the pool once when I was, you know, driving Uber and making the delivery. Isn't that the guy? And the mat was his testimony. Everywhere that you go, you bring a testimony of God's grace. Everywhere you sit in complacency, you deny a testimony of God's grace. So I'm just going to close with this question. Is there grace in your space right now? Is there grace in your home? Maybe your home is a bad place to be. Maybe it's a hard place. Sometimes homes get like that. I grew up in one. But is there grace right now as a believer flowing God's ability at your workplace? You might be in a very difficult workplace full of unbelievers, people scoffing and blaspheming God. I've been there. But is there grace that's going to flow in your life? Maybe you're here and you're stuck on the steps. You're comfortable on your porch. What is it that God's telling you right now? What is it that he's saying, get up and go, that you're saying no to? Maybe you need to change that no to a go right now. Maybe God's called you to get involved. Maybe God's called you to, 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 to go over to somebody that's spiritually blind or spiritually lame, so to speak, or maybe physically. Maybe God's calling you to go, and maybe you've been saying no for 38 years. I, I want to encourage you this morning. Let the grace of God flow and start saying go. Here, go, where you put a no in there because of excuses. Jesus reached out his hand. He's reaching out his hand to you this morning. The big question is, are you going to take it? Finally, maybe you're here and you've stepped in over your head and you feel like you're about to drown. I look out here and I know a lot of you guys, some of you have started businesses and you've wavered back and forth, you know, because it was a big step to go from being employed to being the employer. But you did it and God's blessed you in it. And now you look back, you probably think, you know what? I'm so glad I made that decision. I thought I was going to drown, but God met me right there. You stepped out perhaps in your family life or, or you stepped out in, in other realms and, and God has met you every single time. Right now, is there something that God is saying, go to you right now that's just scaring you and, and fear is saying, no, 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 don't do that. But God's saying, go, go, go. Every person here God's saying go to. Maybe the problem's too big for you. You're more connected to people with your problem than you are to people of common destiny. You need to get off that porch. Get off the porch and walk away. People here that are struggling to see God's process. I just don't know where God is in all of this. It's okay. Just take Jesus' hand. You're not going to go under. Father, I just thank you right now. I know I'm speaking to somebody here. I know this message is for this church, and I know that it's for people that are here right now. Father, I just thank you in Jesus' name that we would see your hand of grace in the hardest place.
For every person that's here in a hard place right now, I just want you to feel the grace of God come down upon your life. God wants to enable you to do what you can't do. But would you enable somebody else through the grace upon your life to do something that they can't do? Would you take their hand as Jesus takes your hand right now? Thank you for listening to the City Church Podcast. If you enjoyed this message or God worked through you in any way, then please take a moment to contact us through our website at city-church.net or email us your feedback at info at city-church.net.